0: Welcome to Chat Club. It's only one rule on Chat Club, everybody talks about chat. Hi, I'm your host Alan Hilty and welcome to episode number 20 on the calendar. Now, I'm going to give a little description before I get into my subject because I want you, people to really know what I'm going to talk about and maybe give an indication. If you went to a job knowing that a high suicide rate, high divorce rate, post-traumatic stress disorder, exposure to trauma on a daily basis, potential for substance abuse, dealing with the trauma, getting overweight, high anxieties, high levels of stress, anger, depression. And these are some of the negative impacts of this job. Would you take the job? Chances are you probably wouldn't. For this job, it takes a special person and a special outlook. Today's subject is going to be about correctional officers, the real truth. As correctional officers, we're viewed as First responders not viewed as we're not really viewed as first responders. People don't put us into that category. But I'm gonna tell you the correctional officers are first responders, because they always go to every, every traumatic event. They're the first ones, more than likely on the scenes. So when you're talking about first responders, absolutely, I think, in a nutshell. So many many people Including media. Media is our biggest deterrence out there for correctional officers. They always put us in negative condemnations. So a lot of terms is prison guards, which I really hate. We're correctional officers. That's our title. They call us prison guards, goons, people looking for violence, just looking to, you know, rough people up, not looking to do a job, just negative people in general. And that's how we're portrayed as. So... Being as a correctional officer or just going into any job, can you imagine going into an environment, a workplace that is negative before you even get through the doors and the doors click really hard and you hear a boom and you're in. No way to get out. You have keys, but you don't leave the building. You can never get out for a brush of fresh air unless it's your break. Just imagine that. So this is a negative thing that I think. No other first responder deals with this type of environment when they first get into it. Sure, they really deal with it over time and during the day and weeks or set into a box, into a building where everything is negative right from the get-go. Can you imagine dealing with coworkers that are negative or have mental illness, not in, not knowingly having them or not willing to deal with them? Can you imagine going into a workplace that expect expecting the worst imaginable things? You picture the stuff before you even get in through the doors. What are you going to see today? Are you going to see someone cut up, hang up, You're going to see somebody stab somebody up, that sort of thing. You know, you're going to see people self-harming, hanging, cutting people down from their cells when they look blue, massive blood, constantly being yelled at, being put down because of your looks, ethnic look, your body shape, showing no respect and constantly being demanding. Through all this, correctional officers are supposed to maintain a professionalism. And they do for the most part. I know a massive amount of correctional officers, absolutely great officers. As COs, we do many jobs. Social worker, give medication like nurses. In some cases act like a parent. Guidance counselors, we act like paramedics to help them. You know, we do CPR, we do different things. We're constantly doing first responder stuff. So there's a lot of different fast, different things that we do in institutions. Telling you every institution is different. I work on provincial and there's other ones that work in federal and the states have probably the highest number of inmates per correctional officer and they don't get paid near enough for the dangers they occur. So correctional officers on a daily basis are outnumbered when they're supervising or doing rounds. Always outnumbered. Massively. Doing self-search carefully, in some cases finding drugs, needles some handmade weapons that are called shanks so I mean on a daily basis their inmates are constantly making different weapons protecting themselves from others and also using it at, at correctional officers while doing rounds can you imagine just walking down your office just chilling out you know somebody throws out a feces bomb they call it a shit bomb and that is pee and and pieces wrapped up into a bottle, shook up, and thrown at officers That happens on a daily basis. There's a high risk. Or getting urine thrown at you, or crappy toilet paper, whatever they have in their hands, wet toilet paper. This happens on a daily basis. And we have to still remain professional. And we're viewed as, and we're all humans. That's the ironic thing. And using the prison guard term kind of makes it such a negative condemnation. In my mind, I really don't like it. It really aggravates me to the to no end. So through all this, we still have to maintain a professionalism. We have to maintain that sense of pride and stuff. And it's really hard to maintain. So we're going to talk about... I'm going to talk about federal a little bit. Federal corruptions in Canada. Now... We have to remain, and all liberals, and I don't really care if liberals hear this because it really irks me. These people that make up the laws, I say these people like Don Cherry, imagine that. Certain people in power, which are liberals or whomever, think that they try to ease up on the rules for the inmates because they're human or whatnot. These are the same individuals that have beaten up an old lady to, to steal them their stuff. These are the same people that have murdered people just for the fact of murdering them, just random murders or gang-related, taking other people's lives. These are the same people that are pedophiles, uh, sexually molesting kids at an early age or whatever, or raping, doing things over time, impacting young innocent children that they have no life or they have a struggle for the rest of their life because these people have impacted them so greatly with the amount of abuse. That they've done. There's a lot of negative condemnations around that, trying to help them out and whatnot. I get that. We're in a we're in a we're in a time where yeah, we have where we uh, reintegrate them and stuff, and then if they deserve it, absolutely. We're talking about maximum security inmates that will never get out, and they keep laxing the rules and the rules. They have internet, TV in there. They play games. No different than here, but they're stuck in a cell. They get the same things. They get canteen. They get all these different privileges. And they really don't earn them. The biggest thing that I have a real, real problem with is the needle exchange program that the federal corrections thought it was a good thing to do. Do we not realize that you're putting correctional officers that follow the rules, that are doing a job at risk, encouraging drugs, more drug use? finding more ways to get them in while well, i got clean needles. Let's get the drugs in here. There's no ways to keep the drugs in. They come in through their bodily functions. They they call it hooping, where they stick it up their rectum. Quite a far ways, and there's other ways that they do it. Uh, constantly trying to find ways to bring in contraband, which they call drugs and whatever stuff. So the federal correctional officers have been fighting for this, and I think it's absurd, and I think... The public should be saying, no, we don't want this. This is your tax dollars that are going for a needle exchange program to help inmates get high? Are you for real? Do you? They haven't set foot or walked a mile in a correctional officer's boots and they're making these rules, putting correctional officers in jeopardy every day, daily basis. I know for certain Renews New Brunswick, which has a correctional facility, there's several people. There's over 50 people up on the second leaf. I'm not sure what the numbers are. Don't get me. But I know there's a high number. That's too many because of the they're opening up segregation for the violent offenders that cannot function. And they're trying to deal with them on the unit. And they get themselves hurt every day. They're constantly fighting with them. If we need to put money into it have a psychiatric unit where they're medicated or whatnot to deal with their behavior, their their behavior is explosive, and you don't know when it's coming. And these people, these correctional officers that put their life on the line are the ones dealing with it on a daily basis. And all of a sudden something bad happens to uh, an inmate that was probably perpetuated by them doing something to them. Then there's a big investigation that we did something wrong. All we're doing is defending ourselves in correctional facilities non-stop. And I'm going to tell you there's a force continuum wheel that people don't understand. There's a force continuum. There's a presence. There's a lot of different things to the force continuum. If they're coming at us with a knife, and this goes for police and stuff that's happened in the world here lately, they come at us with bodily harm. We're allowed to do whatever we do to make ourselves safe, to make sure that, and it, if it means doing bodily harm to them, it's the way it is. That's the force continuum. The force continuum is to contain the behavior. But if it gets to a point where it's endangering other people's lives, then there's other measures that have to be taken. We don't, they just don't go to this measure for the sake of just hurting people. There's a certain way that goes about it. There's a progression. You know, there's a verbal, then they're getting aggressive, then they're, stick an aggressive stance, and we have protocols, and everything, more than likely, most of the time, is followed through. So we have to remember that. People don't know about the force continuum. But that happens with the police. When they're they're met with bodily harm, they they use deadly force. That is the force continuum. It's not up to them to be social workers. It's not up to us to, to calm them down. If they're at that point, there's a no return. I remember watching a video of uh, an officer on YouTube that a guy had a knife. And he practically went a half a kilometer or close to a mile, walking backwards with his gun drawn and saying, please don't go, please drop the knife sirs, please. I heard it about 30 times. Then they went into an intersection. The, The perpetrator came at him, he shot him. But here's the point. He let the uh, the perpetrator get up with the knife. He came at the officer. The officer didn't shoot again. Then the the perpetrator almost grabbed his gun and shot him. So here's the point. That that's what happens. That's the reality. And the reality is the drugs, the crystal meth. There needs to be a war on the drugs because that's what that's what's happening in the world. Is the crystal meth and the junk and the other drugs that make the Percocets, the, all these drugs are making these people to the point where they don't have any rational decisions and they're coming violently because they don't know what they're doing. And then the officers and the correctional officers are the ones taking the blame. But the blame is on the community keeping the drugs away, the community of making sure drugs and, and reporting people. So at some point, it has to be put on the community and the government the government needs to put more money into tasking to get drugs in, or not in, but drugs to get them out, like to find ways to, to intercept these drugs, because it's ruining our society. That's the massive amount of corrections, the massive amount of inmates that are coming in now are more than likely drug related. It's becoming more prevalent. In my institution, that's what we're seeing is drug addicts, and they can't get out of the cycle. So at some point, there has to be a focus on that. That's what's happening. Drugs are getting induced induced to the body, and they have no rational decisions at some point. Does the officer or the correctional officer get themselves killed to save the person, or do they save themselves the law-abiding citizen? Do they save themselves, or do they save the person that is doing the harm? And I understand it's not their fault, and I understand it's the drug's but we're not the ones putting the drugs in their systems. We're not holding them down saying, here's the drugs. So there needs to be more emphasis put on mental health services in the community, and the government's gonna have to dig dig in their pockets and stop and start taxing these big corporations to help out the people that need the help. And that's tax for, um, they need to have forces, maybe they have to amp up their forces for drugs and find ways to better themselves and up their technology and stuff to make sure that they can nail these drug dealers or cartels or the triads or whatever. Because that's what's happening in our society, people, is the drugs is having a major impact on our correction system. I kind of got off task here, but that's the major of the thing that I'm talking about, talking about forced continuum. And the forced continuum is a standard that is set in every law force law enforcement I think in every law enforcement institution, and that includes corrections. I know it is in my institution and a lot of provincial around my province in New Brunswick and Canada, there's a force continuum wheel and we have to abide by that and that's what we go by. We don't jump from one from the guy coming at us to do grievous bodily harm on him. there's steps. there's a presence, there's, there's warnings, there's several warnings. People don't read into the full story. they just jump on the bandwagon because media exposes it as oh my gosh the the mean crux officer the police officer, or whatever law enforcement jumped conclusions they they just shot them instead of putting in the newspaper a knife, an armed person went in an officer and was shot. they just put that uh, you know a person got got shot by the cops. They don't put the real story. They need the readers in there. They need the, they need the the media needs to be defunded, if anything. And they need accountability for what information, they're not putting factual information, they're not, they're putting in stories to make it sound worse than what it is. You need to know the story to have full full disclosure on your opinion, and jumping on the opinion of the media, they're not law enforcement. They're not dealing with seconds to reaction time. A lot of these people in correction uniforms or police officers are the ones that have families that have to protect themselves, that are going to make sure that other people are protected. So if that person with the knife went and stabbed an innocent bystander and they went and subdue the guy, they watched him stab him, then they went and cuffed him and stuff like that, the question would be why did the officer shoot that person? And that. That's where everything gets misconstrued. The media is such a perpetrator of bad news, making things worse than what they are, and putting us, in this, putting us into fear. And there's very few journalists, and I will say I know a few journalists, that actually get the facts, and I really respect the work that they do. And I'm not saying all journalists or organizations are terrible, but there are journalists out there that want the story. They want the big news. They want the story of the year, sort of thing. But they're not helping out society. They're making it in fear, and they're talking about different things. So I kind of get off track a little bit. I was talking about correctional officers, but the force continuum is a major, major thing. So I want to get into correctional officers, and I want to talk about the high amount of suicide rate. And there's a lot of, a lot of correctional officers. They did some studies and they have, they say in a career of a correctional officer there's about twenty eight major critical in- incidents that they've seen, and that could be hanging death, people stabbing each other, uh, shanking each other, uh, officers getting hurt, officers getting, you know, beat up or, or anything like that, and th- and that's a study that was done in nineteen ninety two on corrections own website. There's. And they said something in Saskatchewan, there was a six-month period where uh, in 2003, that guards in a six-month period averaged six traumatic events. So that's quite a few. And these critical incidents, trauma, traumatic events, include such things as suicide, hostage taken, murders, assaults. It's normal things that people don't see every day. And, that, and that's the worst of it. People don't know the impact of what's going on in the jails. They only see one side. They don't see that they sat down with this person and talked to them and and talked them down or helped them out. I remember we had a young lady we used to rehouse, and it was a big thing, and I'm not going to say her name because confidentiality purposes, but I remember this person we could have charged another 20, 30 times that charges. Officers didn't want to charge this person. I remember times sitting down there on night shifts talking this person down, trying to make sure that they're okay, trying to, you know, try to diffuse what's going on because we get a lot of training. Well, we didn't at that time. We do now trauma as trauma-informed is what it's called. In a lot of cases, we have a lot of uh, clients or inmates that come in with traumatic experiences when they're younger or during their life, so it's kind of a way... But I remember in segregation when this person was housed that, you know, we'd calm them down. We'd actually go get cinnamon toast, bring it down, and just have a chat with them and and calm them down and talk about normal things. These are the things I do in my facility, and I'm 100% sure that happens in other facilities. In maximum, I forgot to tell you, there's a minimum security, maximum security, and a medium. Now, the lower, the low risk, like usually pedophiles or people that are coming in their time that are not so violent. So those are usually the low ones. The medium are working themselves towards low and got themselves from medium to that point. High risk medium is murderers, uh, people that are never going to get out of the cycle. Or they're in murders, rapes, whatever. They're in there for the for the life. They're usually lifers, and a lot of institutions are maximum. I know where New Brunswick is in maximum security. So there's a lot of different things, and, and I'm not going to go into what they do because I'm not. I don't step in their shoes. I'm only told a few things that they do, and they're very guarded, and 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 they have every right to be guarded because they don't want to be shown as weak, and and I get it. But they do take care of themselves, and I hope they do. And I have a lot of people that I know that work for news and I respect everything that they do. So that their job is a lot harder than mine because they see most of the stuff that I described. Not saying that I never seen it in my early corrections because we used to have a 100 and some corrections in my or young offenders in my facility at one time. It's dramatically decreased, but at that time I did see hangings and self-harm and beatings and different stuff, and I... I do carry that, it, and I do see that sometimes. So people, you know, when you're, when you're talking, I mean, there's a high percentage. Uh, there was a study a psychologist did, and 17% of the guards that were interviewed met the criteria for post-traumatic syndrome disorder. So, I mean, and, there's, and there was close to 20% found in Vietnam veterans that went to battle. So, I mean, and these are people that are actually coming out then. And I know there's a lot of people that don't come out and say a lot of stuff about PTSD and don't want to be put into the frame because you wouldn't believe the crux of how tight they are. are brothers and sisters and they don't want to let the other person down. And they have to realize that they need to take care of their their health and their well-being. So when we're talking about occupational stressors we're talking about personal health, the well-being, and and it's an alarming factor because there's a definite parallel between the nature of a correctional officer's job and the long-term health and the mental effects of the job. And I think there needs to be more money, and I think it needs to get in there as soon as possible. And they need to rework a lot of policies, and they need to, Back up their corruption officers if if there's something done that they need to back them up, and I know there's an investigation, and I know there's th- there's things, but they need to be backed up they they need to be you know backed up for what they do, and there's a lot of different stats i mean like there's at least eight documented corruption officers suicides in Canada between two thousand and thirteen and two thousand and fifteen, and there's so much. There's a high suicide rate in corrections, and I want people to know that it's probably one of the hardest professions to work because you're dealing with a negative environment. You're dealing with the whole negative coworkers because I mean they could be stressed themselves. We don't have enough help in these correctional facilities for officers. It needs to be the forefront if we want good correctional officers doing the job, and they do great jobs. I'm not saying that they don't, and they do. So I don't want to get too far into this. I want to just wrap this up. I want to wrap up, and I want to say this wholeheartedly. If you see a correctional officer out there that you see that is in corrections, I want you to thank them for their service. I want to thank. I want you to thank them for what they do. I'm getting a little emotional because this really really hard subject, and I want you to thank them for what they do because there's not enough thanks. There's always negative impacts, and being that one person that says thank you for your for what you're doing, thank you for your do what the job you're doing, means a lot to the person. It may not be immediate, but if you get enough thank yous, it means a lot, and it could help that person. It could you know could save that person. Could be, you know, you never know. So I just wanted to say that out there because. This whole correction thing has changed me as a person, changed my outlook on life. Um, I'm, I've basically just got myself back on track here the last four years. So this really was one of the hardest subjects that I've really talked about. And I want this podcast to be viral. And it's not for me. It's for other correction officers to know that they're not alone. I'm out here. And there's several correction officers that go through the same direct impacts that you do in life. May not be the same institution, may not see the same stressors, but at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And I could say that because we all are in it together in corrections. And I want the government to step up and governments to step up. I want the media to step up their game and report the right facts and not the false ones and get the real story and don't put stories out there that are false or inaccurate because that's being being done so frequently in today's age. And then we're getting haters online that don't understand what really is going on. And then we have Facebook wars and people are upset. And it's starting a lot of hostility. And I was always told if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. Keep your opinions to yourself if you can't. And don't forget, there's people that have families. So just make sure that if you see a correctional officer, even a police officer or first responder, I don't want to leave them out because they've such a, a hard job themselves. Paramedics, nurses, doctors, security guards. There's a lot of them out there. And if I forgot a few names, I apologize. So anyway... I just want to wrap this up by saying thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of Chat Club. And I'm going to talk to you really soon. Remember, in Chat Club, there's only one rule. Everybody talks about Chat Club. Have a great week. Have a great month. And I'll talk to you really soon. Thank you.